Welcome, everybody. And thank you for listening and subscribing to Behind the Screen. I am your host, JT Kane, and I'm here with my very good friend, Matt Corey. What's up, JT? Uh, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. Let's finish it up. I didn't have anything else to say. Please. Oh, really? We're just going to... I was done. Oh, okay. Well... Well, I have one more thing to say. Say it. Well, we're here to talk about auditions. You know that. Orchestral auditions. Orchestral auditions. Yeah. Hence the name behind the screen. Oh, wait, wait. No. Which take place behind the screen, hence the name behind the screen. You see how good we are, Carol? This is just... (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking... Though just now, like we actually could interview actors because they have audition stories too. But yeah. I would then I started thinking it would be really cool, like if they audition behind the screen as well. So like the directors just like got surprised when they booked somebody. Like oh yeah, but when 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 I looked up behind the screen on a podcast, it usually is about actors. Yeah, ours doesn't come up first. A lot of the ones that have the same title as us have pod faded. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. But why? Then why are there? Why do theirs come up before ours? I don't know. It's Hollywood. We can't compete with them. We're giving them a run for their money, though. <sighs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I almost canceled today. If it wasn't for Carol, I would have canceled you. Oh, really? I don't know if you can tell. My right eye is screwed up. Like there's there's something going on under the lid. I'm sorry. Yeah. You gonna be okay? Yeah, I'm okay. If I don't look quite right, that's what it is. I mean. You know, no different than... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I just want to say thank you to everybody listening. Um, We hope our discussions and our guests will be a a resource and an inspiration uh, for anyone taking auditions or anyone um, who is really just interested in our guests and the audition process. And this podcast is brought to you by Insight for the Blind, a very special recording studio based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where over 100 volunteers produce talking books and magazines for the blind and physically handicapped so that all may read. See for yourself at insightfortheblind.org. Indeed. Go check out Insight for the Blind. And thank you, Matt, for leading them uh, all this time. How long has it been since you've been at the helm? Uh, I want to say 2012. Can you do the math? Yes, we're going on 10 years. Wow, that was fast math. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there since 03, though. Oh, yeah. So do, What's that math? That's, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut <There> up. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. All right. Well, <laughs> I want to, on that note, uh, just welcome our guest. I am very happy uh, that she agreed to join us. Um, Carol Yanch, the principal tuba of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Carol, welcome to Behind the Screen. Thanks so much, JT. Oh my God. I am really, really excited to talk to you. This is the first time we've ever uh, even met. Like It's true. And talked. So so Did this you count is, this as meeting. Yeah, well, yeah. I think <laughs> I think nowadays you kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's kind of the new norm, which uh good as it's gonna get. It really is, yeah. And and honestly, this is as good as I'm going to get. So take it for what it's worth. It all goes downhill from here. So yes, welcome to the show. We're talking about auditions. I read your bio and I know that you joined the Philadelphia Orchestra in two thousand and six, right? That's correct. Yeah. So I remember things. So that's great. So can you, let's talk a little bit about that audition because it's kind of an interesting story, how you got the audition and what was going on because you were still in school. It's a very long-winded story. I don't know, what, like, which version do you want? Well, let's... 
<laughs> How long is this podcast? Well, we'll see. I don't know. No, I no. You were at University, University of Michigan, Michigan yeah. in my undergrad, and I'm in my junior year mm-hmm. at the University of Michigan um, and the Philadelphia Orchestra. Uh, listed their audition and so I sent a resume in and it was rejected because my resume at the time was basically like Carol's a junior in college she's done some solo competitions yeah <laughs> that's good sounds good they're like cool we got 200 resumes so <laughs> what else you got no yeah. thank you but no um and so I wasn't surprised at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they held that aud- round of auditions in March of 05, I think. Um, meanwhile, I'm just like living my life. I really wanted to go to Tanglewood that summer, mm-hmm. but I found out early that I did not get in. Into Tanglewood? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I never got into Tanglewood. But the fun part is that like a year later, I got to go back as a member of the Philadelphia Orchestra and play yeah, like nice. in Tanglewood. <laughs> Screw you guys. <laughs> Take that, Tanglewood. Yeah. <laughs> so because I didn't get into Tanglewood, I was like, uh, I got to find something to do. And yeah. uh, found this week-long brass festival called Bar Harbor Brass Week. And they had a late application deadline. So I just threw together this tape that I had of some excerpts from my New York Phil audition that I recorded and a piece from a recital that I had done recently, which was like my arrangement of the first movement of the catch violin concerto on the tuba. Oh, cool. Like, dun, 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 but like down uh, far. Um, (laughs) (laughs) where my vocal range does not go. (laughs) And so like lots of notes, really impressive. And I ended up, getting a call from Blair Bollinger. Uh, he's the bass trombone player of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Mm-hmm. He's the one who listened to tapes for Bar Harbor Brass Week. And I got a call from him saying, we'd love for you to come to Bar Harbor Brass Week. And we also want you to audition for the Philadelphia Orchestra. Oh. Because they had held that first round of auditions in March and decided not to hire anybody based on those. Huh. And they were holding a second round just for people who couldn't come into that first one. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird situation. So they didn't invite anybody, and then they were like, you know what? Everybody that was invited this round doesn't get to come back, and so we're going to just a whole new crop of... I think it was more like they thought that there there were a lot of people who weren't able to make the first one, who I they see. thought had a shot, and uh-huh. because those people existed, I also got thrown into the pile because they passed around my catcheterian tape and we're like, we should listen to this girl. Yeah. So I, I got this total backdoor entryway into the audition. Like I wouldn't have gotten one otherwise. And like, that's, you can talk for a while about like age discrimination kind of stuff and like opportunities well, there, but <laughs> sure. with a resume of, you know, a, a shorter resume, there's a lot of orchestras that do that where, where you have to submit your, your resume. Right. And they're, yeah. they're kind of basing it on that, you know, whether it's fair or not, they're like, well, we can't have 200 people show up, you know? Yeah. So that's, well, plus like traveling with tubas, yeah. uh, sucks. Yeah. Cause you usually have to take two, to every mm-hmm. audition. So like depending on where you're coming from, you're flying with two flight cases. Yeah. Like, ugh, gross. Or you're buying multiple plane tickets. Yeah, sure. And I know just from booking flights for for subs and things like that that come to New World and, and like bases and there's not a like a set fee for for these flight cases, is there? Depends what airline. Yeah. Okay. Well I yeah, I don't know. I, I've always had problems. They were like some people were like fifty bucks, some people were like hundred and fifty. It it just depended on the Yeah. The, yeah, the airline. Or more. 
Or more. Yeah. So when you show up, like, did you have a routine? Because you had only, or had you had taken New York Phil and you got actually were in the finals of New York Phil, right? Uh, semis. Semis. Okay. But you still, how many other auditions had you taken before even New York Phil? Do you count making tapes that were rejected? Because then a lot more. <laughs> a lot more. But let's say in-person auditions. In person? Yeah. This is a long time ago now, JT. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's see. I took Milwaukee in person, Ann Arbor Symphony, New York. I got to mm. I got to New York based on a tape. Nice. Yeah. Was that it that I actually got to go? Because like tapes were rejected from Boston, multiple tapes from Cleveland. Yeah, that might have been it. I'm wondering about your routine. Like, what kind of routine did you have, or did you have a routine? Again, this was 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I did a lot of mental practice. We're not talking about that audition that I won yet. Right. Because in May of 05, I made finals for that one. But again, nobody won. Okay. So in the meantime, my predecessor, Paul Kurzwicki, had already retired. Right. He like he played his last concert in May of 05. And then mm. they were like, ah, we don't have anybody. We need to like fill yeah. the summer and the next season until we can have another tube audition. So I ended up getting on the sub list because I made finals. And then my okay. senior year at Michigan, I got to skip school for a bunch of weeks to play weeks with the Philadelphia Orchestra, which was awesome. Yeah, of course. And uh, that's great that you were able to do that. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of schools that would be like, yeah, maybe not. No, you've got to stay here. It's more important. But get this. I had to go back because they didn't ask me for all three weeks in the fall at once. They asked me for like the outer two. Yeah. And then later they asked me for the middle week. Um, and I had gotten permission to do the two outer weeks if I could come back and play a symphony band concert in the middle. <laughs> right. So I actually, it turned out that I drove back to Ann Arbor to play this like November 1st concert in wow. Ann Arbor. It was a little bit insane because it's like 10 hours each way. Yeah. But you know, you're a kid. You don't care. Sure. Just like I. <laughs> well, you got to do it, right? You've, you're like you can't. You yeah. can't miss up. The, the, you can't not take the opportunity to go and play with that extra week, that middle week with Philly, and then you know you told your school that you'd be back. Yeah. Ten hours is not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back then, it's great. It's easy. Back I, then, it was whatever. Yeah. While I was there in November, I got really good feedback. And they were like, we like what you're doing. Essentially, we just want you to do it louder. Okay. And so I went back to school and learned how to play loud. <laughs> how do you learn how to play loud? The main issue was that playing loud was not my wheelhouse. And because it was not my wheelhouse, I wasn't spending much time mm -hmm. there. It's easy to be like, well, this is the thing that I'm not as good at, so I don't like doing it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then you never get better at it, right? right? So if you're not, if you don't have the courage to kind of tackle your weaknesses, then they'll stay your weaknesses. Sure. We all like to play what we know how to play, right? Because then we sound good. Yeah. When you're teaching or when you're working with, with a student that's, that's preparing for an audition, are you focusing in on those kind of weaknesses and telling them this is what you need to work on versus... I tell them everything that's terrible. Yeah. I just rub it in their face constantly. <laughs> good, good. No, keep keep so the morale So it, it kind of depends where you are in the process okay. too, right? Like if, if you're playing for me the day before your audition, I'm not going to be like tearing you to sure. pieces. Right, of course. I'll try to pair along with my comments on what I think they can work on. I try to 
give them like exercises that will help them open up those parts mm -hmm. of their playing. Yeah. We kind of skipped over a little bit about, about just kind of a routine. I always had kind of a weird routine when I went to take auditions that were I'd like went to the same kind of restaurant every night or walked to the hall, everything. Is there, mm. is that something that you do? Do you recommend doing that for, for any of your students that are, that are going to take auditions? I didn't have that kind mm. of routine. The kind of routine that I talk about with my students is knowing how you're going to start each excerpt, okay. knowing what you're going to think about, like what part you're going to sing in your head to get your brain sort of in the tempo and style of the next excerpt mm -hmm. and knowing how long your breath is before you start playing, like when you're going to put your valves in, like all that's that, like I actually usually do a two beat breath and I'll like breathe valves play. So then like, you know, like two points make a line, two beats make a tempo. Oh. So if I right. play, right, then I have like the tempo set yeah, already. Yeah. But that kind of thing, like if I'm starting right at the Valkyries, it's like, Bum, bum, ba -dum, bing, mm -hmm. bum. I don't know if you could hear my fake valve noise. but oh, It was great. No, 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 I could. Bum, I, but bum. I could, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually fascinating because, I mean, I know, I mean, breathing obviously for, for you and for wind players, brass players, things like that is, is obviously critical. Sometimes string players don't often breathe or they should breathe more. I mean, obviously they have to breathe, but, but I'm wondering if that, that's something that they can incorporate in their auditions before playing, because I think that's really, really interesting and, and a great <laughs> tool to have. More than the breathing too, right? Because like you're getting your head, like I'm singing like, bum, ba dum bum, ba dum bum, bum, ba dum bum, ba dum bum, bum, ba dum Bum, bum, right? Yeah. Then you're fully in tempo and style. Like the the last thing you want to do in terms of getting a good quality breath is be caught off guard, yeah. uh -huh. especially for the quantity of air that you need for tuba, right? Yeah. That like you're just, if you like have a freak out breath, usually what happens is your throat closes and you're like, <gasps> and yeah. then like you get no air and then you don't sound your best. Well, how do you control when you're on stage and you've got all these nerves and adrenaline kind of going? One of the first things that goes is your breathing, right? Because you're, you're kind of tight. And so how, what did you have to do or what do you recommend that if that happens to people, how to control that? Breathing exercises are really good. Like in terms of backstage stuff, uh -huh. we all know our spots that in terms of playing that we need to kind of like touch on and shed to make sure it sounds good in the moment. And so like in terms of playing, I think we know that stuff. But um, at a certain point, like you, you don't want to waste your chops in the warm-up room mm -hmm. either so like you want to have other things to occupy your mind while you're sitting back there that can keep you kind of focused even just doing a really slow breathing exercise like just four in four out kind of thing mm -hmm. at like a beat per second is really healthy and like you can focus on all of the aspects of making that perfect like having the speed of the breath remain completely consistent for the entire duration in both directions and going straight from inhale to exhale, vice mm -hmm. versa, and relaxing any other part of your body that's not participating in the breath, all that stuff. You can even like make embouchure kind of shape on your exhales and like make sure that like that's staying strong as you exhale. Like you can make a really simple exercise incredibly fruitful yeah. if you're really focused on it. And what that does is it 
doesn't leave room in your head for you to be like, I wonder what the judges are going to think of my interpretation of Meistersinger, <laughs> well, you know? Yeah, because those, <laughs> those things sneak in there, right? You're, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You kind of want to keep busy, right? Yeah, that's it, right. Good advice. Breathing exercises are always good. Like you can do more contextual things like wind patterns that mirror the kind of air that you're going to be using in the excerpts you're playing, like kind of thing. But I also did a lot of mental practice, especially for that last audition, because I knew finals and super finals were on the same day. Um, And so I knew I needed to like pace myself. And so I don't want to like overwarm up. And so I ended up doing uh, a lot of mental practice. Like once I was fully warmed up, I still Mm -hmm. had a lot of time. So I was just going over the parts in my head. And again, I'm trying to be as vivid and specific as possible about what I do want to sound like and what I know I can sound like based on all my practice, right? And filling my head with what I do want to hear so that I'm not worrying about anything that's irrelevant. Do you get nervous when you take an audition for that for that one specifically? JT, I was so green. I was 20 years old. Like I didn't <laughs> yeah. know what I was doing. I, <laughs> I, I was love just like, that this is though. Cool. That's this a- would be great if I won it. But like, if not, I'll go back to be an undergrad. You right. Know? Like you basically had nothing to lose. You're like whatever. You yeah. know, like I'll win. if I win, great, awesome. If not, I've I've got you know I still got a couple years of school left. Yeah. Matt and I have talked a lot of to our guests about like taking beta blockers and things like that. We. Matt and I didn't know about beta, beta blockers when, when we were auditioning. Had we known, maybe we would have done better. I don't know. I don't want to say I didn't get nervous. Yeah. Like I, And I still do get nervous. And it's weirdly selective these days, like what circumstances make me more nervous. But uh, back then, I feel like just I, I just have this kind of like laser fill. it's like opposite of ADD thing where like I it's hard to tear me like put me in the front of a puzzle. Yeah. And like, just don't expect eye contact for the next three hours. Like that's, <laughs> that's how I am. Right. Nice. So like, if I'm in there doing my thing, I'm just like, for me, the screen was incredibly helpful because I could just straight up pretend they weren't there. Were all the rounds behind the screen? No, the final round, when it got down to three players, mm-hmm. the screen came down. We each played stuff from the Vaughn Williams concerto with piano and then excerpts with the trombone section. Okay. That's what I wanted to ask, actually, was, is there a concerto round for tuba? Because I, I only know of, I guess, two. I know the, the Vaughn Williams one and the John Williams concerto. And soon a Wynton Marsalis tuba concerto. Oh, cool. Oh, awesome. Fun plug. It's premiering in December in Philly. And you're premiering it? Hell yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that is amazing. The, the other tuba player is going to do yeah. it. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like, like they actually bring in a, a, a tuba player to, to play that. I mean, they have violin soloists come in and play the violin concerto. But do you, do you have like a carte blanche to be like first right of refusal for a, for a tuba solo? Well, I'd be real mad if they had a <laughs> yeah. tuba Hell soloist yeah. and it wasn't me. In Philadelphia, you, you actually played the John Williams concerto for John Williams. That must have been kind of thrilling. It was awesome. I have, uh, like, in, in this room, I have a signed uh, copy of the tuba part from yeah, that. That's very cool. And was how really was nice. the uh, nerve situation for that? <laughs> um, pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, literally out of my scope of comprehension, like, what that would be like. Yeah. So you got to the, you got to the final three. Now it's just you on stage with with the the panelists you need they can see Wait, you and stuff so like that. So we weren't behind the screen behind the screen anymore. So does this mean we stopped talking? Cuz this podcast is behind 
the screen. We were in front of the screen. <laughs> yeah, in front of the screen. No more screen. <laughs> Remove the screen. So the screen is gone. You're there. Do you like the screen? Like, what is your philosophy on the screen? I mean, do you think it helps people to play with the screen or without the screen? I, I mean, from what I was saying earlier, like me back then, I think I was able to imagine the committee not being there and that helped mm -hmm. with my nerves. And I think in terms of fairness, like there wouldn't be women brass players yet yeah. if we didn't have screened auditions. So, you know, yeah. I, I got to be like a really big proponent of them. Um, I, I am. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my philosophy, I, I, I totally, I mean, I, I, I do a lot. I mean, you're, you're going to be working with uh, the NAS, the National Alliance for Audition yes. Support, you know, for the, their audition intensive. And a lot of that, what we are trying to do is really to kind of have that screen up for all rounds, re mm -hmm. regardless of, of that. And then, you know, um, for the I think last it does, round, though, like, I'm not, even for the last round. And maybe it's because, like, I've only been in Warren Orchestra and this, like, the way we've done it. Like, it makes sense to me because we, we always have chamber music in mm -hmm. the last round, or at least all the auditions that I've served on. Um, yeah. So, like, you want to see if those people can, like, do chamber music and aren't just, like, excerpt robots who can't play in a section. Like, <laughs> sure, I, sure. I don't know how likely that actually is, though, because, like, yeah, I mean, we've never had an audition that we kept the screen up the whole time. Yeah. It is, like, in our contract that we, we actually vote now whether we should uh, leave the screen up or take it down at the point when we get to that point in finals. If that makes okay. sense. I don't know if there is a right or wrong answer. I, I mean, and again, it's just this is just my belief. But you know, if you're if you have a chamber music round or something like that, is it possible to use other players with them? Or if you are specifically like, is there a Philly brass quintet that you play with, or is that is that some, is that part of the job, or is it just? I mean, like, well, let's say, what about like trial weeks or something like that? Is that did you have a trial week? In the end, I played like six or seven weeks with the orchestra before my audition and they Even weren't before yeah. formal trial weeks, but like right. they, they knew you. One of them was Bruckner seven with Simon Rattle. So like, and I had like eaten it on that, then they <laughs> might not have felt so good. Like, but I mean, that actually worked in my favor because like, yeah. had I made it to the open round of the audition as a 20 year old girl, tuba player for the principal spot, then like it might've been harder to hire me had they not, you know, heard me doing okay. Yeah. I wanted to follow up on the chamber music round. Is that something that is specific to your orchestra for every audition? Like if a section violin came in, would they be playing uh, like in a quartet or something like that as part of a final? I guess I like, I'm like thinking about it again. Yeah. The string auditions don't necessarily have chamber music. I think it's more the the wind. I'm more on wind auditions. Sure. Mm -hmm. JT, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't recall hearing about it, like chamber music being a part of the, a final in any of the, the guests that we've spoken to so far. That actually sounds like something that would be really valuable to do with someone that's up for a job. I only know that chamber music is on, on some audition rounds. You know, they require it. Um, for whatever orchestra. I mean, I guess it's all dependent on the orchestra. Carol, do you find that you learn a lot about the applicants when you hear them play their chamber music? Not necessarily. I've <laughs> yeah. been on like five low horn audition committees and they always do like Chike 4 as a section for some reason. 
And I never feel like I can get anything out of listening to like, I'm listening for the fourth horn part as they do this. So, like, I don't mm. know. They did it and yeah. it didn't sound terrible. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that was. laughs> I, I don't know. Or like my colleagues are still warming up. Like, how do we judge that? Mm. So right. I, I don't know. Right. Like these days I'm kind of leaning toward like, we should just keep the screen up. Interesting. Like that's, yeah. that's the most fair way to do it. It does eliminate all bias. I've, definitely notice that I listen differently when I can see people. It's great that you say that because you are, I don't know, maybe the third or fourth guest that we've had that's literally said that they, they listen differently when the screen is up because you're not looking at it. You're, you're not being distracted or, 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 or whatever. You're just, you're simply listening. You want to know the biggest difference? Yes. Is, uh, is my, my notes get a lot nicer. <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> when I don't see somebody's face, I'm like, this was wrong, and this was wrong, and this was wrong. And then I see their face, and I'm like, oh, they did a pretty good job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just think it's it's about, you know, it's about design. And I've heard some some crazy excuses why the screen should come down. Like, well, what if they have tattoos all over their face? Like, okay, all right. <laughs> if that's what you're worried about, then, you know, you... But I just think, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it just, again... You're not the first person that said this, and I love that that it is kind of a thing that you do listen differently. And even somebody, it might have even been Mike Sachs, said even when they, because Cleveland does it completely differently. I think I think they, he said that their screen comes down even after just right after the first round. Wow! But he will close his eyes and he'll and he'll or turn his head or something like that. So he's not. So he is just listening. And and I, he, you know, that again, it brings out something. You're doing something differently. You know, like if somebody is visually impaired anyway, you know, you heighten their senses or whatever, that kind of, you know, if you don't have all five of your senses, then something gets heightened. So maybe that has something to do with it. I mean, you do the chamber music because you want to see, does this person fit in the ensemble as it is? Yeah. yeah. And that's a pretty good argument. But on the other hand, like you've been playing in this gig for how long? Like you should be able to recognize like whether a sound would sound, yeah. stick out like a sore th thumb in the ensemble. And if the difference between someone who sounds the best behind the screen and someone who sounds good in the section is great, then maybe you should reevaluate what's happening right. there, right? Like, do you, do you want the best player? Exactly. And that's all that it should be. Do you want the best player? And then, I mean, on top of it, you've got, you've got your tenure process. So if they, if they aren't, in fact, able to mold and gel and, and, and work with the colleagues and all that kind of stuff, you have an out, right? So, I mean, this is a conversation that we could talk about forever for a very long yeah. time. My question is, how do you make sure someone's not a jerk before you hire them when you're like, I want the most fair audition possible, but I also don't want to be stuck with a jerk. <laughs> sure, exactly. <laughs> for like decades. And for decades, right. But isn't that kind of part of the tenure process? Or is the tenure process solely on, on playing? Uh, we have a really nice orchestra that like... Uh, <laughs> you guys do have Just nice does not not give tenure. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to be able to hide it beyond that first year because I think a lot of the tenure processes the dismissal at the end of year one doesn't really need a reason, right? Uh, you can just kind of cut and run from someone. If it goes beyond that into the second year, a lot of times then you have to have the meetings and the and the reasons. Then it's virtually impossible. Yeah. Barring extreme circumstances. Extreme, yeah. Yeah. When you're listening to auditions, when you're behind that screen, 
and now it's somebody there that's that's doing their audition. What what exactly are you listening for? Is there something that I mean, obvi- other than not the obvious, you know, playing in tune and rhythm and et cetera? Is there is there something that that helps you determine who's going to advance versus who isn't? It varies by the round. Um, I have to say the first round. It's easier in some ways, harder in others, um, because you just ha- you're listening to so many people. It's hard to keep track. Yeah. You know, you've got sixty people in a first round. I have to take copious notes, otherwise I kind of get lost about who's who. So I try to take notes on both things I like and don't like. And if I have just a general sense, I'll try to jot something down to that effect. But yeah, so like the first round, it's sort of like can you generally get it? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, like mostly in tune, mostly in time, like give a general sense of like, there's some difference in style between the excerpts, like the bar's lower, but you know, you kind of like, you hear six people in a round and then you're like, probably pick the best one or two. So now you're getting to the point where pretty much everyone's kind of at a really high level. Um, and so, so what is it, what makes somebody stand out in, for you? That ability to distinguish between styles in the excerpt. So not only are you able to play competently on the instrument, right? That you have enough commands to have just generally good enough time and rhythm, uh, time and pitch, uh, and rhythm (laughs) and time. (laughs) I think it's really important to just give the sense that like, I know how these pieces go, and this goes yeah. along with everything that's going on in the orchestra, regardless of whether you're playing something melodic or not. Uh-huh. Um, for low instruments, I, I also have some, like I have this personal obsession with like sound production stuff. Like, mm-hmm. is for me as the tuba player, I, my role right is to like provide the foundation for like the brass and sometimes even bass sounds of the orchestra. So like. I'm really anal attentive about getting out full sound immediately so mm-hmm. that you get right on time, you get the sound and the pitch that like everybody else in the brass section can sit on top of, right? Because if you have any kind of like wah kind of stuff, mm-hmm. if you're hesitant about articulations, then in the band, you're just going to sound late and you'll make everybody mm-hmm. above you be like, ah, oh, but where am I supposed to play kind yeah. of thing. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Actually, a lot of instruments, like if people are afraid of missing notes or if they're afraid of like playing out of tune, they'll kind of like sneak into some stuff and play like, like, so they kind of like find the note and then push into it. And it can work in some contexts, but I hear it and I'm like, automatic pet peeve. I'm like, that's not, (laughs) I think it's not like, I want someone who goes for it, right? And I want someone whose sound is present so that like, you know, it just, for me, gives this like ease of playing. Yeah. Um, so that's like with low player stuff, I'm looking for that full, like a full sound that is also immediate. But is that a style of playing that people have? Is that, or is that like a school? Like, I don't know. You know, I, know, like, I think it's kind of rare. I, maybe I'm the only one who's obsessed with it, but. No, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I, I think it's good though. It's good for people to know. I mean, I would imagine that that could be, and just maybe they're 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 scared or they're they're timid or something like that. And you don't want that when you're playing. You especially in brass, you know, you want to have that's you want to have that foundation, you know, that sound. Um, 
in in I think it's a technique thing as well though, right? Because with the with the tuba especially and and the other bigger instruments that it takes a little bit for the sound to come out. Like you're going to start producing the sound, but you're not going to have that instant impact of the sound right on time like you would with a the attack of a clarinet or something. You can though. You can, right. That's, That's what point. I mean. Yeah. The technique. Yeah. So if you're if you're not used to playing that way, or if you're not thinking about it, then that's what's that's something that's going to rub you the wrong way when you hear that. You could hear it a lot, like in bass auditions. Um, I did one round of those, and um, it's really funny how like the range of different kinds of sound you can get on the bass are so similar to the range of sounds on the tuba, Um, the isms. Um, But with the bass, it's the same thing, and for me, it comes out the most in like faster passages or like staccato stuff. Like if it takes you that, you know, quarter of a second to get into the the bulk of your sound, then what if you're you're playing like 16th notes that are staccato? Like you're just never gonna have a full sound, right? So those yeah. people end up sounding like if you have an excerpt that has like short notes and longer notes, like the short notes are all super soft and the longer notes are louder. Right, so then you can't make a line with mixed rhythms. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, for bass, I guess it seems to me—I don't know, maybe just because I'm a string player—but it seems to be very obvious. Um, but is that is that like how, how do you learn that? Like as a, as a brass player or as a tuba player, how do you how do you learn to do that? Or is that just like a philosophy that you had in your head that you were this is what you were going to do? Uh, for me, I think I had some of that before I got this job, but mm-hmm. it's only gotten more extreme since I've been like a member of the Philadelphia Orchestra where like our sound is our thing. Yeah, for sure. And it is extremely physical, right? That if you want to like, boom, have that sound immediately there, it's like, it's athletic. And I, I feel like it has to be the same way on like bass or cello or whatever that it's physical. Yeah. For me, the, the first step though is awareness. Like, <laughs> You have to want to sound that way, like know the difference and be able to hear it. So do you, when you were, when you were preparing for, for auditions or when you have a student that's preparing for auditions, do you make them record themselves so they can, they can hear that and, and actually kind of, yeah, listen to it, you know, break it down kind of a thing? Yeah. I mean, I think what we're talking about here is actually like a component of a larger issue, right? Like, um, when... I play the tuba, I don't necessarily want people to hear tuba. I just want them to hear the music, how it should go. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want them to be at all aware of what's hard or not hard on the tuba. Each instrument has those same kind of like their own isms. I don't want to be able to tell what's hard on your instrument by the way that you play an excerpt. I think you, I just want you to play the excerpt the way that it goes. Right. So, you know, like, like how a pianist will like manipulate rhythms to like accommodate like a big jump or something like uh, no i just want to hear the rhythm just like do yeah. it faster like i want to hear it how it should go how it should go yeah you talked about the physical aspect of it you yourself are very active physically i i read you ultimate frisbee and you're big into yoga and you you know that that whole physical um 
I mean, I think that that's part of your philosophy is that you have to be physically fit, especially for an instrument of your size. But I think for any instrument, really, it's a it's an activity. It, it's not something that I think people have the misconception that that classical musicians or musicians in general are, are kind of uh, not very fit. Regardless of what instrument you play, yeah. you're an athlete. If you're playing clarinet, which takes like one one hundredth the amount of air as tuba, like <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. you're still like you're still controlling your breathing muscles. You're still utilizing, you know, your embouchure and all those fine muscles need the same kind of care as an athlete gives to their body. So like, it sort of depends on whether your teacher was into like health and wellness stuff, but it's really important to be able to listen to your body and like to know some basic stuff, like do some horse face after a long practice session so you can like shake it out. (laughs) (laughs) The way that you would like, you know, ice a strained muscle. Like, yeah, we need to know, be able to listen to our bodies and take care of them because problems won't happen in your twenties probably, but like you'll pay for it later on if you're not taking care of yourself. Look, I'm, I am, you know, case in point, I, uh, years and years and years had bad, uh, technique and, you know, I played in the pit for for a long time and, you know, regardless of, of whatever it was, but then I ended up having rotator cuff surgery cause it just got deteriorated. I had a bone spur and then it ripped into it, all that kind of stuff. So Oops. I, I, yeah, it sucks. I had to take like almost a year and a half off of playing. So, but fortunately I was uh, already in administration. So I actually um, do like a stretching breathing exercises routine every day before I start playing it. Not only like loosens up the body and the muscles that I'm going to play, like, um, but also like kind of change it. So you have to change mindsets because it's the way that you operate your body as a normal human is very different that you operate it as a wind player, right? Yeah. If you're, cause like a normal person has a passive exhale. You don't try on your exhale right. and you don't control the speed of your exhale, yeah. but a wind player needs to learn how to like engage that musculature at your musical request rather than your body's physical needs. Is that something that you teach or is that something that you uh like have a demonstration of like that kind of thing is there like where could our listeners go like, and, and my like, personal stretching routine well i don't know yeah is oh. it something like i'm sure some of our listeners will probably be uh, interested in you know where i'll guide you is um one of the trombone players i interviewed on my podcast uh amelia rosenberger um she's a co-founder of yoga for all musicians oh pretty sure it's yoga for all musicians.com yum and she's fantastic. Even on YouTube, she's got some like guided stretches for before you're playing. Like I, I followed along with her doing like some neck stretches and some shoulder stuff. And cause she also had a playing injury, but it was able to work through it. And as she was getting her like yoga certification stuff. So like she's able to apply all of this knowledge from all of her yoga background to all of the playing stuff. So, uh, she showed me some like rich stretches and stuff. So I would say, check her out. (laughs) I don't have anything published. You had a, um, pretty serious injury with, uh, that was with a surfboard right here. Yeah. Surfboard to the face. Yeah. And this is a fake tooth right there. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was fun. That they did a good (laughs) job. Yeah. So, I mean, but you, I mean, busting your lip open, right? Yeah. Essentially. And, and my bottom teeth came through my lower lip. Oh. Yeah. That's so, like, the scar is like on the lip line, so you can kind of barely see it. But how, how old were you when that happened? 26. Recently. I'm 36, so not that recently. 
Well, but still, recently enough, where where you're you're still you had your tenure. Yeah, I had tenure, which is the yeah. You had already been in in, in, <laughs> in the Philadelphia. You had your tenure in, with with uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra. Uh, how long did it take you to recoup? And was there any kind of lasting, in, uh, you know, effects for, from it or anything? Yes. Yeah. Um, you can see when I do this to my lip, there's like a, a lump there, and that's oh, wow. that's a bunch of scar tissue. I actually recommend, first of all, every brass and woodwind player should all have up to date molds of their teeth, so that if something happens to your teeth, then you can get them replicated but if you have an injury like mine where there's a puncture in your lip it kind of depends i got lucky because mine was like um you know the the shape of your lip muscle it's like in a ring right around your lips Uh, um mine was going like with the grain so like i just got hit by a big flat surfboard so like my muscles sort of separated along the grain Okay. The worst one is if it's vertical. Like, uh, was it? Someone's gonna have to Google it, like fact check this. But like, I I think it might have even been like Louis Armstrong was in a Mardi Gras parade, and somebody like I don't think it was Louis Armstrong. Some some trumpet player was like in a uh, a, uh. a Mardi Gras parade and had a brick thrown at their face, Ooh. and it was it split their lip like vertically, like against the uh. grain, and that's the kind of thing you like need surgery for. However, if you get the one like mine where it's with the grain, avoid getting stitches okay. as much as possible. Did you get stitches? But I got like six stitches inside and for like a normal person, that's fine. But like for a brass player, it was bad. And theoretically, these things are supposed to just absorb into your skin over time. But from the vibration, they kind of like worked their way out, some of them. And so, like it itched like hell and it was oh, it was painful to play and so my my dad's a doctor and he ended up like taking some tweezers and like digging in there and getting the stitches out but the problem is like because i got these stitches like right after the accident when everything was super swollen uh-huh. it's all kind of like tangled up in there had i not gotten the internal stitches it would have given my body a chance to like to calm down before it fused back together more naturally. So I think you'd have a better situation with your scar tissue if you just let it. And then you won't have to have your dad come and get some tweezers and like pull <laughs> out your stitches. Nobody wants their dad to pull out stitches after in the mouth. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, how, I mean, look, I, I mean, obviously you're you're super relieved, but how terrified were you when that happened? I was pretty panicked. Um, yeah. It was. I was really lucky that. I had my dad and he answered the phone because I, I called him and one of the most uh, comforting things that he said to me was the tissue on the inside of the mouth is the fastest healing part of the body. All right. Hmm. Good to know. Yeah. Do you think if you had been uh, a French horn player that it might have been a different outcome, like as far as the recovery? I don't know. Like it, it did take away some of my high range like I used to be able to play like towards the top of the treble clef staff. And like now it's like stuff I would never use as a tuba player. Um, I don't really know because I don't know how to make <laughs> like a mm. horn on the shirt either. <laughs> that has always just like been completely out of my wheelhouse. But I will say that having that injury forced me to be more efficient with my technique I was getting by with like 
figuring it out and, and, and like going with what worked and not thinking too hard about what I was doing. But then like once I had this big lump of scar tissue, it was like, basically it doesn't want to respond. It gets swollen. It doesn't want to respond. And so yeah. if you're anal retentive about having your full sound immediately, like <laughs> you better figure out how exactly that works. And so it was a very painful time, like basically like kind of relearning how to play in every way. But I honestly learned so much doing all of that, that I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. I might not have those like stupid high notes anymore, but I'm yeah. so much more conscious of everything I'm doing. I am a better teacher for having, I'm more empathetic to people who have been through injuries. Yeah, like me too. it's all kind of good stuff. It's a difficult thing to talk about, and I but I appreciate that you have you know you have this uh, this outlook, um, the positive ways that it, it's helped you. But I just see you know working with at the New World Symphony, and I see all of our young fellows who are in pain, you know, and they're they're walking around, and I tell them all the time, if you are hurting, tell me, you know, because we can figure something out, we can take you off of a rotation, we can you know whatever it is, but why are you hurting? Let's figure that out. We got to, you got to get to the root of this because you yeah. shouldn't at 25, 26 be in pain like this. It shouldn't be a thing, right? Because it's, you're too young to be walking around in a, in a, in a sling or, or whatever it is, you know? So, yeah. so we, we got to figure that out. And it's better to do that in your twenties when you can bounce back. Exactly. It's a physical thing. It, it's a, and it's a lifestyle and it's a change. If it's, if you're doing something incorrect, you got it. We got to figure out how to change that. And I think that's, that's kind of hard, especially when you've, you know, you've established yourself here, these fellows at new world, they're, they're amazing. They're, they're amazing musicians, you know, and, and they're, they're great, but they're, they're in a routine. They, they, they're doing what's right to them, whether or not it's, it's physically correct. It's, it doesn't, they're not, a lot of them aren't thinking about that. That's actually when it's more dangerous, right? Yeah. When they've gotten so far with ever without ever thinking about it very hard. Yeah. Because then when they're struck with a situation where they they need to think about it in order to change, that can be really jarring for someone who's not used to it. Yep. I call that the coming of consciousness in somebody's playing. <laughs> that, yeah. Like somebody who's had to work for it the whole way through has a general sense of like, oh, here's this thing I need to switch. Like it's gonna be a long road, but like I've done it before, I'll do it again. Right. Mm. But someone who's like never hit a roadblock like me at 26. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a huge deal. And like you, you just have to go through it to convince yourself that I can rebuild. But there's nothing like that first one. For sure. Carol, I want to thank you for, for being on the show. I know you're, you're super busy. I mean, you mentioned before coming on the show that you've got an entire night of drinking ahead of you. So <laughs> I don't want to take that away. <laughs> I don't want to take any more time away from you, but I do want to let everybody know to go check out your website, right? Mm -hmm. right? Yep. If you can spell my last name, you've got it. Or just Google <laughs> Carol Tuba, honestly. But there you go. I'll get you there. Also, the Rising Stars podcast. The Rising Stars podcast. Yeah, definitely yes. check that out because it's very cool. A lot of, a lot of really great interviews uh, with a lot of really um, amazing, young, up-and-coming um, it's it's all pretty much all brass players though, right? Right, brass players, and we're about to launch our second season on June 24th. Awesome! Congratulations. We should be June 29th. That's my birthday. 
But if you want the Sorry. 24th, that's fine. Too. <laughs> I just want to mention also again, June 29th is my birthday. Um, we will be, I'll be expecting lots and lots of gifts showered. How about like uh, just a f- email for a change? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yep. I'm going to take that out. <laughs> He's asking for gifts. We are begging and begging people. <laughs> I'm sorry, my cat just turned on something on my other. He's like standing on the keyboard and he's turned on voiceover like, or something. Oh, that's so funny. Ah! <laughs> oh man! That's, that's awesome. Okay. He's like, um, yeah, you've been on long enough. <laughs> he's my my alarm. Feed clock. me. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy um, checking out everybody Rising Stars podcast. Listen to Carol talk to uh, to everybody. And again, thank you, uh, Carol, for, for, for being on behind the screen. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, for subscribing. Please send Matt an email. Screen is up at gmail.com. Later. We did it. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did it. <laughs> <laughs>